This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. In the last four, four weeks, this is the fifth week, we've been, doing, we've been doing something. And what we've been doing is to, first of all, explain the purpose of God, try to see a synopsis of the purpose of God, right? And then we'll now see TEC's purpose. Because TEC's purpose cannot be separated from that purpose of God. So the, the whole idea of what we've been doing for the last four, four weeks, five weeks, for these five weeks is to see God's purpose and then to see what TEC's part in it is. Hallelujah. And that's why the first Sunday, which took quite a while, but was necessary, was to explain the purpose of God. And so it's even good so that we can flow into explaining the core values, the last two core values this morning. God has a purpose. And we try to explain this, that God has a purpose. God is not agnostic on any matter. God is not unintentional. This is what differentiates Christianity from deistic religions. It is easy to talk about a maximally great entity, an all-powerful entity that you cannot add anything to, that is Yahweh, right? But the moment you remove the intentionality of God for whatever bias reason, you have reduced God to the God of deism, which is what the Dao, you know, what Daoist guys believes, what Buddhists believes, believe, and all that. Because our God is intentional. That's why to be made in his image is to have agency. To, to have that very image of God is to have something that God has, which is agency. You cannot remove God's agency from his being. It is who he is. He is, a, he is his consciousness. He is existence. He is the one from which every consciousness comes from. Hallelujah. It's extremely important that we understand this because if, what, if that statement is true and is true through and through, then it means that God is not agnostic on any matter. Nothing can flow out of God. Nothing can emanate from God called creation that God has no purpose for, that doesn't have any intention for, that just came. And so that is the reason why we know that for humanity and for every of God's creation, God has a purpose for them. Praise God. God has a purpose for them. And we define purpose as what a person is created to do, what a person is created to accomplish, what a person is created to carry out. Not necessarily what a person has. Purpose, you know, we're going to start talking about that, all that on Sunday. So, purpose is what a person is created to do. Purpose is in what a person is doing. What a person is meant to do. A fan is created to blow air. It's an active thing. It is a doing. A laptop is created to process information. It is a doing. It's an active thing, right? In the same way, in the same way, all of creation is created to actively do something. And the substructure of what all creation is created to actively do is to show forth the nature of God. Are we together? Everything that humanity does is, in, is, is tied to that. Everything that all of creation does is tied to that. The flourishing of creation, what we call the flourishing of creation, is actually the exemplification of the intention of God for creation. 
So when we look at all of creation, we look at the sun and the stars, we look at nature all around us, we look at the entire material universe, and we see that it is flourishing, that the human being is flourishing, that you know animals are flourishing, that all conscious entities are flourishing. That is the measure to which they are demonstrating that intention for which God created it for, which is to show the nature of God, the essence of God in different ways and different ways. We look through the scripture for all that. And we show that humanity is at the pinnacle of God's creation. Why? Because humanity is the one that can demonstrate the image of God and the nature of God in a way that no other creation can can um, can demonstrate. That's why Apostle Paul tells us in First Corinthians chapter fifteen that there is a light of the sun, there is a light of the moon, there is a light of the candle. All of them bring forth light. So all of creation demonstrates the nature of God, but there are levels to it. Church, are we together? Did you hear what I said? All creation demonstrates the nature of God and the divine essence of God, but there are levels to it. At the pinnacle of it is humanity, because humanity is able to demonstrate that very agency and consciousness that is like of God, that no other animal, that no other creation has. That is the reason why when you look at other animals in nature, like chimpanzees, and you look at elephants, and you look at bonobo, chim, you know, you look at bonobo chimps, you look at, you know, um, look at um, crows and all those kinds of animals, and then you see them demonstrate some level of agency. The naturalist will look at it as proof that there's nothing special about man. But the person that understands God knows that it is proof that God is using all of creation to demonstrate something in his essence. Man is at the pinnacle, but all of them have measures of it. Do you understand that? Did you hear what I just said now? The naturalist looks at nature and sees all the similarities that human beings have with other animals and creation, and they see it as evidence that human beings are not exceptional. But they are wrong. And the reason why they are wrong is because their values are in the wrong place. Do you understand that? I don't want to go too much into that. We'll talk about things like that later. But they are wrong. The fact that God has allowed some of those similarities where, you know, you can see a crow that can use tools, and they'll say if crows can use tools, human beings are using tools, we evolved from animals, and so there's nothing really special about us. It's a lie. All of us share something in common in creation. We have the ability to demonstrate the nature and the essence of God in different measures. It is God that did like that on purpose. It is not evidence that we are not special. If not, let the crew do what human beings can do. Do I make it easy? God was deliberate about putting us at that hierarchy because we can demonstrate his very agency in a way that even biology, a purely naturalistic outlook, cannot explain. What is the line of a 1.5 kilogram wet tissue of meat producing consciousness? What is the line between it? There is no explanation. And this is not preaching stuff. This is fat. Go and read it up. How do you draw the line from a brain that is mostly water, meat, and arrive at consciousness? That means active consciousness. An entity that is self-aware, able to process information, able to look at all the information in the world, and when they are thinking about it in consciousness, they are not thinking of it at different variables, but as an integrated flow of information. How do you get that from meat? Do am if easy. Praise God. Church, I was together. And then we began to say that because God is not agnostic on any matter, he has a plan for all of creation and also all of creation has, you know, some th- something to offer as, as a way of demonstrating the nature of God. However, humanity is at the pinnacle of that hierarchy 
And because humanity is at the pinnacle of that hierarchy, humanity has a responsibility to not just demonstrate the nature of God, but to cause all of creation to demonstrate the nature of God in a way that no other creation can do. So that is the reason why reconciling men is our priority. That's why it is the number one theme of the scriptures. Because it is the priority. Humanity is the one made in God's image. And it is the priority. That's why even a man that is not saved has a form of the image of God, but it has been defaced. Not that he does not have it at all. So travel together. That's why a man that is not saved can still respond to some things. But what he has has been defaced. It has been disfigured. When you want the glory of the light of Jesus to shine on a man so that a man can show the very nature of Jesus, it is only receiving the gospel that a man can do that. Church out together. And so that is the reason why it does not make sense to try to make nature to flourish at the expense of humanity because it takes humanity to enable creation to flourish. Hallelujah. Church out together. And so we looked at everything in that light and now said that. So what is the role of TEC in all of this? The role of TEC in all of this is to get, is to cause that work, is to partner with God in achieving that purpose of making sure and ensuring that, you know, all of humanity is able to do that. So that's why the purpose of humanity, of, of man, is to show the nature of God and to also show, help other people to show the nature of God. So your purpose is to get saved and to help other people to get saved. That is a priority. Don't forget what we talk about hierarchy of values. There must be a hierarchy of values. Hallelujah. So that's the purpose of humanity, right? And so the role of TC in that is to help people to be reconciled to God so that they can achieve the purpose of God for them. Is to reconcile people to God so that they can achieve the purpose of God for them. But they cannot be reconciled to God. In fact, the whole business of reconciling people to God works at the same time with reshaping people's values. Because if people's values are not reshaped, they cannot be reconciled to God. And after people have been reconciled to God, their values need to be reshaped. It's an ongoing thing that is integral and is happening at the same time. In preaching the gospel, you are reshaping people's values, and in reshaping people's values, you are pushing people towards the gospel. Why? Because people's values is the place, is the attention, is the focus of their hearts. A man's value system is what a man's heart is focused on. So if a man's heart is focused in a direction that is contrary or that is, you know, in contradistinctions to God's position, what will happen is that the man cannot see God. That's why Apostle Paul told in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that if a man can turn to God, the veil will be taken away. The problem is that their hearts are always turned away from God. So that's why even in this dispensation that we find ourselves in, the reason why it is extremely hard to always preach the gospel, why it cannot be received, is because people's hearts are focused on something else. And that's why the parable of the sower comes to be. It is not a cognitive matter. It's not an IQ matter. It's not an inability to understand. It's not a handicap in understanding. It's not. It's a volition issue. Is the fact that people's hearts are focused on something else. That's why the, 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 the seed that does not germinate is the one that fell on the wayside. Or the one that fell on a heart and it was choked. Or the one that fell on the rock. Church, are we together? Right? Because it's not as if the soil has a fundamental incapacity to produce. That's not the problem. 
That's why it's not that the Jews did not have the IQ to understand the gospel. It was because their minds were focused on something else, which is self-righteousness. So you needed to focus their hearts on something else, which is the need for a savior before they could see God. The moment a Jew turns his heart away from self-righteousness, righteousness by the law, trying to accomplish righteousness by themselves, and they focus on the need for someone to save you from your sin, the moment they do that, the veil is taken away. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. That's how I was explaining to you that the entire purpose of John the Baptist before Jesus was not to make Jesus popular. Jesus was, could be popular all by himself. <laughs> the essence of John the Baptist was to begin to draw the attention of the Jews at that time to begin to focus on what the problem was, which was sin. Because they were living at a time where all they were thinking about was a Messiah that would come and deliver them from the Romans and all that and all that and all that. So someone came to show them that that is not the problem. The problem is sin. So that's why John the Baptist came ahead. So it was on that you know, framework that Jesus started his ministry. That's why John the Baptist felt like he had the moral authority to send to Jesus to ask him whether he's another person we should call for or whether we should still wait for another person or we should keep looking. And Jesus, you know what Jesus did? <laughs> Jesus told the two disciples to wait. Wait, just wait. And then he healed people. Opened eyes, blind eyes, cast out demons and everything. And I said, have you seen everything? Oh yeah, go back to John the Baptist. And tell him <laughs> that the eyes, people that are blind are seen. And the deaf are walking. Don't be offended because of my clouds. Because Jesus could raise the clouds all by himself. And when they left, you know what Jesus said? Jesus now said, see that those guys that have gone. When John the Baptist was preaching to you people, what did you guys come out to see? Did you guys come to see a fine boy? No. He said, what you guys came to see? He said, you came to see somebody doing stuff. So he was talking to the people that had heard John the Baptist. Do you understand that? He was, they were talking to people that had received of the ministry of John the Baptist. So the entire purpose of John the Baptist was to get their attention on, on sin, which was the problem. Church, all together. And so that's why I tried to break it down, even, that, even today. What we are contending with, the reason why there has been a long-term misunderstanding about the fact that all you need to do is just to preach the gospel to people and then they'll be saved. So we're not going out for evangelism enough. It's more than that. There's something I, I tweeted some time ago that I don't know if you guys remember. I saw a picture. If you look at the map of Germany today, and you do um, the statistics of atheists versus Christians in Germany today. It is divided along the concentration of Christianity and atheism. It is actually strongly correlated. It is divided along the lines of where the Berlin Wall was built. So the people in Eastern Germany are more atheists. The people in Western Germany are more Christians. Why? Because after World War II, when Russia wanted to divide, well, after World War II, when Russia divided Germany into two, based on, say, you guys lost the war, and they took some part of Russia as per right of, right of conquering, they built a wall through Germany. And so that part divided Germany into the east and the west. So the people that were in the east were under the communists, under communist Russia. They were being controlled by communist Russia. And communist Russia is primarily an atheist state. That's the core underlying underpinning. 
everything about what Lenin and Stalin did was basically the idea of Marx that everything in this world is a matter of religion is oppressing people. So their first point of call was to expunge religion. You know what Stalin said? Stalin said that um, he's going to make sure that he eradicates the knowledge of God from Russia. So the guy was deliberately burning churches and burning seminaries, killing everybody that even formed that they were Christian and everything. They were dead. In fact, um, communist Russia was atheist Russia. And that affected eastern part of Germany. And that tradition has continued till today. Meanwhile, those in western Germany are still more Christians. That's why right, today in Germany there's something called the Christian party. What do you call it? The, um, there's a party in the, the conservative Christian party. A Christian party. And they're strong. That's Merkel's party. <laughs> Did you understand that? Did you see how the system of the world affected those people? Why? That's the argument behind people that are born to Muslim family are usually more Muslim. People that are born to Christian family are usually more Christian. The people make it, they try to give a materialistic explanation for it and say, um, the reason why you're Christian is because you're born. It's not true. The reason why you see that strong correlation is these values. When you grow up in a family that is Muslim, you are taught certain values that put your attention on certain things. And so if that value correlates with a certain kind of worldview, that's the way you'll be going. So that's why you are going to go and preach to someone. You are not just going to contend to say Jesus is Lord. What you are doing is to first of all get the person's heart, the focus of the person's heart back to, to what is important. That's what we are contending with today. Many people are in the value of apathy. I was telling my wife, I think I was telling guys also in that midweek service, right? That in this first, in this period that we are in now, we have, if there is a pictorial, you know, example of how people are dispersed, people that, um, people that receive the gospel, people that are actively against the gospel, if there was a way to imagine it in your mind, the, the example and look at it. What you would find is that people that are saved are from here to here. People that are actively rebelling against the gospel are here to here. People that are apathetic, don't care, don't really care, are the ones that are like this. Because if you are going to get people, if you are going to reconcile people to God, which is God's priority, what you are going to contend with is a world where people are worshiping self pleasure. We are contending with a world where people simply just don't think about the bigger things. You know that's a problem. They just don't think. They just don't care. Those are the things that you contend with. You have to reshape those value systems so that their hearts can turn towards God and then they will now start asking. That is the reason why people, you know the way people got saved for the first time under Peter? They asked, what shall we do to be saved? If a man's heart can turn to God, the Holy Spirit will do the rest. That's when people begin to ask that question. That's what evangelism is. You are getting people to the point where they will ask, what shall we do to be saved? Did you understand what I just said now? Why? Because those guys were, came to Jerusalem for normal Ilea and then Peter shows up and preaches one kind of message that scatters the entire world value system and their eyes opened. And when all more, there's problem here. Then they ask, what shall we do to be saved? That's what reshaping value is. You get people's hearts to realize that you need something. Then they will ask, what shall we do to be saved? Someone who is addicted to self-pleasure, you will use the instrumentality 
of the knowledge I've received from scholarship, the gifts of the Spirit, the knowledge of God's Word, to get them to the point where they will look at themselves and now say, these earthly pleasures don't pay. What can I do to get something deeper? Did you hear what I just said now? You get someone who has been indoctrinated based on the value system to be actively against God and you destroy their philosophies and you destroy their ideas that make them to stand against the knowledge of God so that they will, ask, will get to a point and ask, okay, so if this Christianity is true, what do I have to do? Can you guys hear what I'm saying? So that's why TEC's purpose is reshaping values and reconciling people to God. Reshaping values and reconciling people to God. Reshaping values and doing what? Reconciling people to God. Because that is God's priority. Hallelujah. So that is the reason why we have the kind of core values that we have. Our first core value is love. Love, because it's all about the people. The entire disposition of love is to get people to be better. So, it is the first core value. It is the primary core value. Because our business in TEC is the business of love. It's all about helping people to get better and nothing else. In this place, we see people as, we see the betterment of people as an end in itself. We don't see the betterment of people as a means to an end. We don't see preaching God's word to help people to become better as a means to get them to bring out money from their pockets or to a means to get them to join our church or a means to get them to do whatever. No, we see people's improvement as an end to itself. That's why in TWC we will help people, they will be in their church and we will help them and we will not get them away from their church. We will, people will come to this place, we will help them and we will send them to go and do their own ministry. Because in TWC, obviously, you guys know, right, that they, we are not building empires onto ego. We don't need church empire for a good self-esteem. We are fine. It's about the people. Praise God. Secondly, faith. A second core value is faith. Faith as in not just believing for things. Faith as described in the scriptures. That is believing in God. That is believing in God. Faith, as in believing in God, falling in line with God's will, is not having our way, it is not name it, claim it, is not developing our own desires and getting people to fall in line. Rather, it is believing in God. So, here, charismatics are not an end in themselves. We will excel in the charismatics, hallelujah. We will excel in that. But they are not an end in themselves. We are not doing all those things as an end in themselves. All those things are always towards an end. And what is that end? To fulfill the will of God. That's what faith is. So if we find ourselves in a period where we're not even doing any things, and God will have us focus on teaching people something, we'll do it. We're not going to say we must, we must do something just to show. we we'll know all those kind of pressure. A lot of errors and heresies and misconduct. I'm speaking now as a minister with privileged information but without any specific um, references. A lot of heresy and evil has gone on in the church and is going on in the church in the name of making charismatics an end in itself. A lot of popular people known for calling people's plate number and calling people's phone number. Who would have sent their boys before service to go and check the cars parked, write down their plate numbers, 
get the phone numbers of people from people and then come out and say, if this is your phone number, come out. This is what God is saying. So you can sue one millionaire. That's what happens when charismatic come and end in itself. When you start doing things that are not necessary and start doing all kinds of stupid things that will just derail the church. <laughs> Do you guess what I said? Because we're people of faith. Third core value is scholarship. Hallelujah. Not just study, but the entire disposition towards knowledge. Whereby we are a people that are given to the acquisition of knowledge. Obviously, primarily in scriptures, but also in every other form. Praise God. We, our disposition in TEC is to be given to knowledge. As Apostle Paul told Timothy, give yourself to reading. I was saying that I was not talking about just reading scriptures. Give yourself to reading. We are people that will be known as being knowledgeable. We are not those half, half-baked people that due to poor understanding and poor knowledge will be saying all kinds of erroneous things and saying all kinds of wrong things and all that because we have found that knowledge according to the scriptures deepens a man's stability in Christ. Church, I was together. Scholarship is not I know my work very well. I don't know if, in case that was the point that you're trying to make. Let me correct it. Scholarship is not I know my work very well. I'm, I'm a very good doctor. No, that's not really what we're talking about. I'm a very good media person. I'm a very good painter or something. No, that's, that one is something else. We also encourage that, but that's not what we're talking about. In scholarship, we're talking about a person that is giving to reading. That's, give, that's giving to knowledge and acquisition of knowledge for the sake of being vast in the, you know, the thoughts of this world, the people of this world, and how to pull down that, those knowledge and philosophies that are, rising in, that are rising in contradistinction to the knowledge of Christ. So when people have all kinds of idols in their hearts in philosophy, we will not be a people that when we are met with such kind of confrontation, we'll just say, Jesus is Lord. Or, you know, something, just say, um, um, too much wisdom, just or something. Where people that will meet them, like Apostle Paul, we will meet them there. You raise up a philosophy, we will meet you there because we also know it. And we will show you how that knowledge is wrong. We will be deep in God's word. Show up to go and convert an imam. You will, many of you will do it. You will convert an imam and you will not go there because you'll be telling him this is what the Bible says. You will quote the Quran to him. That's what scholarship does. Your Quran said this in Surah 15, verse 4. And you quote three, line it up and show him the logical incoherencies of it and say, Oga, this is the way out. Church, I was together. That's what scholarship does. Let's go and preach an atheist that who is a postmodernist or a new Marxist. You yourself will be deep in those things. So when you show up at the Areopagus, they will sit down and say they want to listen to you. So we are giving to scholarship. That's why we are going to have no kinds of interesting meetings. When other churches are having special program, which I am not against, we're having special program. Concert, this one, that one. We can do that one too if you people want to. But the kind of special program we'll be having is we're going to invite Pastor Tim Keller. Please come and show us the correlation between Christianity and this and this and this. You sit down, open your book, open your laptop, your references. That's what it sounds funny, but that's what we do. See, my own is too much, all right. If you don't want, better go now. 
<laughs> Praise God. Church, are we together? Don't forget, scholarship not as um, not is not for the sake of puffing it up, puffing up for for the sake of the ministry. Are we together? Mm-hmm. So so I don't think that um, so that we can be the bad guys in town. Well, we are the bad guys in our church. Ah, the guys in that church they sabi book. No, <laughs> that is not the reason. It is for the sake of the gospel. Because that's why I said that's why I said, and I was very particular about last month that the base is the scripture is God's value system is the scriptures and then you use the scripture to shine a light on all the philosophies and ideas of this world so you are standing from God's mindset and studying um, postmodernism church are we together you are reading from God's mindset right and you are reading Foucault you are starting from the scriptures and you are reading Derrida you know, you're standing from the scriptures and you're reading Marx. That's, how, that's what I'm talking about. It is from the scriptures. The, you're looking at everything from the prisms of the scriptures. So that someone shows up and begins to say that this is a proof that Christianity is not true, you will meet him there because you have read it already and you know where he's going. That is evangelism. I was explaining to you guys that one of the problems that we have in the body today is the fact that the barrier of entry is too low. It is a good thing, but it's a bad thing. Look at the Jews. Don't it take some call for someone to call you a rabbi? The barrier of entry is too low. Any Tom Dick and Harry, without any kind of education in hermeneutics or basic education, safe in grammar and semantics that you can even use to read normal English Bible. You don't even know how to read normal English. Wake up and say that he wants to start pastoring people and because of he has manifest the gifts of the Spirit, people will start looking to such a person on education, on doctrine. The barrier is too low. That's why we have all these kind of things, you know, you know all this kind of stuff. And the guy is communicating. <laughs> you are laughing. <laughs> it had to come out. Guys, be teaching people and people are believing it. And we don't even know whether it's causing more problems than, than it's solving. Because even the people, what they are preaching to them, we don't even know whether they are really saved or not. <laughs> so, shall we together? You think it's a coincidence that Apostle Paul excelled the way he did? He was the most trained of them. There is a correlation. There is a correlation between scholarship and effectiveness in ministry. Do you hear what I just said now? There is a strong positive correlation between scholarship and effectiveness in ministry. People who don't know anything and all they've ever done in their life is wake up and just read the Bible from their own perspective without studying what anybody has said, you know, not reading any history of it and all that. It always shows. A lot of heresies and false doctrine are a result of simple bad scholarship. The person does not understand English. The person does not understand basic semantics. Do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of things like that. A lot of stuff. Let me not go into all those things. So, we're strong on scholarship. Hallelujah. Now, the fourth core value, there are five core values. The fourth and the fifth, we're going to be talking about them today as we round up. The fourth core value is beauty. We are big on beauty. What does that mean? Let's read the Bible. Romans, oh my God, it's 1025 already. 
Consuelo. Praise God. I'm, ah, Jesus is Lord. Okay? All right. Um, Romans chapter 1. From verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness. Do you see that? God is displeased with men who suppress the truth. That the truth is evident, but they are deliberately suppressing it. God is displeased with it. He calls it the wrath of God. Verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. So, you know, God, we talked about all this on Tuesday, but don't worry, let me not, I don't want to feel the strongly to recap too much, so that we don't just waste time. Right? So you see that God has been deliberate about manifesting himself. So that um, even pe- when people were never saved, that was Paul tells us in Acts chapter, you know, in Acts chapter 14, that he was, he, was, he was talking to those, those Greek guys and he was telling them that, see, even at the former days, former the, the days of ignorance, God has overlooked because even then, God was causing rain and sh- to, to shine and the sun to fall and was giving you crops of the field so that your belly was pleased and you could flourish and you could happy. Because even, you know, even before Jesus came to every man and in every place and all of creation and all of civilization, that is why one thing, ah, where people of scholarship, should I just be free? I should calm down, have you? Do you know there was an anthropological study that showed that the more primitive societies are, the more likely they are to be um, monotheistic. And the more they begin to build complex societies and civilization, they begin to veer off into paganism. Ah, God, that study was so good. Sam Walton, Michael Jones did a lot of work on did a lot of work on this. And this is this is the idea that even man in his primitive forms, when he looks into nature, he's by instinct begins to see God. But the moment he begins to create things like money, power, society, and everything, he starts building pagan, he begins to devolve into paganism and begin to have God for this, God for that, God for this, God for that, God for this, God for that. And those gods begin to be made in their own image. And those gods that begin to make in their own image begins to be a god that is for their purpose. So you are praying to them, to those gods to do things. And they start coming up with all kinds of complex stories about how those gods are useful for you. But in their primitive forms, when you begin to look at a study and topology of human beings to their most primitive forms, you begin to see that humanity usually starts with the idea of one god from whom all things come. That's what Apostle Paul is explaining here. There is nobody like Apostle Paul in this world. Not even Plato or Socrates, not Aristotle, none of them. That's what he's explaining here. That God himself had already shown himself in nature. So God had, let's read on. Right? What he now says, now says, verse 19, because what may be known of God, what may be known, so everything that you need to know about God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and what? Godhead. So that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were what? Darkened. See, 
the way people respond to the knowledge of God and the image of God that can be seen from the beauty of creation is indicative of how those people can work in the purpose of God for them. There is a beauty that emanates from all of creation. There is a beauty that emanates that is a testament to the intentionality of God. That there is a beauty that emanates from nature and all of creation that is actually God evangelizing himself to us. Church, I was together. Psalm 19. And to ignore that knowledge, to ignore that knowledge is to deliberately shy away from God's revelation of himself. That's why there are three levels of revelation. I always tell you guys. Have I told you guys before? I've told you guys before, have you? There are three levels of revelation. There is the general revelation of God in nature, just like we have read now. What may be known of God can be seen in nature. So it is general and everybody can see it and nobody can deny to it. However, there is a more specific and more detailed revelation of God in scripture. That's what they call specific revelation. So when you look into scriptures, you see a more detailed revelation of God. It's a higher order of revelation. And then there's a third level of revelation, which is the existential personal one, where God shows up to a man and you see him for yourself. Church, I was together. Psalms chapter 19. So what it says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, it utters speech. That is day unto day, the creation is speaking, and night unto night, it is communicating knowledge. There is no speech, nor language, where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So every day, every time, nature is communicating knowledge. What knowledge? The knowledge of God. How does it communicate it? Through the beauty that emanates from nature and all of God's creation. So it is incumbent on us, we who have the nature of God, to harness the information, the knowledge of God that this creation is producing. Because it might be a lower form of revelation, but if God has been deliberate about it, so should we. Who knows better than God here? If you know better than God, raise up your hand. If God can be deliberate about communicating the knowledge of himself in creation, then we don't have a choice but to join God in appreciating that nation, that creation. That's why he said that their knowledge were darkened because they saw it, but they turned their heart from it. There is a knowledge and there is a speech that emanates from creation on a daily basis. It is our job to harness that information, to appreciate that information, to cultivate that information. We must harness it. We must appreciate it. And that's why we are a people that are giving to beauty. That's why there's an argument for God. There's a calm cosmological argument. There's a fine-tuning argument and all these popular philosophical arguments for the nature of God. And there's one that Bishop Barron, you know, developed, I think, from reading Thomas Aquinas. I know there's arguments from beauty. 
Beauty is proof that God exists. <laughs> That's why you would not be walking on the road and be hearing a keyboard playing. You are hearing the beautiful melody of music and you will assume that sound waves mistakenly hit a wall and when it hit a wall, it bounced off the floor and when it bounced off the floor, it hit a string and as it was hitting the string, another one bounced and bounced and bounced and as they were bouncing continuously, 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 it began to bring forth the sweet melody of keyboard. Unless we're insane. When you hear something beautiful, your first assumption is that someone is behind it. Nobody will go to the Sistine Chapel and assume that there was an earthquake and as the earthquake happened, yellow poured and then blue paint poured and then red paint poured and then purple paint poured and as it poured, wind blew and the wind was pushing the painting like this, like this, like if, if Even if it is true, you, 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 unless you are mad, you say, no, this is not normal. You cannot go to the Sistine Chapel and see that beautiful painting and assume that it was a mistake. Because agency is what produces beauty. That's why you cannot look at the stars. You cannot look at the galaxy. You cannot wake up and see the beautiful sounds that come from a bird singing early in the morning. And you say, everything just happened. Church, are we together? So, all the beauty in all of creation, in the arts, in music, in speech, in every form, wherever you see beauty, you know, we appreciate it as the work of God. Please don't take this is a deep statement. That's why in this church we're going to be deliberate about help, about harnessing beauty, about you know, appreciating it. And by beauty, I don't mean the figure of a woman. No. <laughs> or the, you know, the shape of a woman, no. Beauty is objective. So whatever is subjective can, is not what we're talking about. And so that's the reason why everybody has different tastes. That's not the beauty we're talking about. We're talking about the gifts of God to us that can be appreciated. That's how we're going to support. That's why you will notice that there is a correlation between beautiful music and being able to worship God in the beauty of holiness. You know, sometimes we say that that thing should not limit us from being able to worship God. And you know it's very correct. But it also begs the question, why is it better when there's music? Because the beauty of music is the wisdom of God. God was intentional about it. These are the things that are stomping all these naturalists. How does the beauty of music and our response to music come purely from materialistic sources? How do you evolve into playing keyboard and playing music and playing? Have you listened? Sam came to our house and has taught all of us batting. Have you listened to the beauty of orchestra before? Have you heard an orchestra playing? Dozens and dozens of different instruments, all playing in different parts. Soprano, tenor, bass. There's one, one other one. Which was the first one? An auto. Giving you beautiful music that you yourself you are receiving goosebumps. Do you think it is, uh, it, it, is, it is a strange thing that an evil spirit will be troubling Saul and David will play beautiful music and the spirit will go? Church, are we together? 
You think it is normal that a person can sit down and paint something that you look at it and it is telling you deep messages than what can be clearly seen? All those things are the works of God. And so we appreciate it. Church, I work together. So we appreciate it. You know, listen to me here. You know, I was explaining to you guys about the hierarchy of your values. How some things are more fundamental than others, right? One of the reasons why we've had a problem right in this part of the world is that there are some things that are important. They might not be at the pinnacle of a hierarchy of your values, but they are important. And in neglecting them, we become deficient as a church. Why do you think that when atheism begins to become on the rise in a country, you begin to see them doing ugly things? Their fashion changes. If you see the fashion that they are doing now, one person wore pants, wore strap, ugly. Go and check communist Russia. Their buildings were like block. Ugly. But when you see, look at, look at medieval Europe. When there was a critical mass of people that believed in God in the arts, look at what happened. Look, look at what it did. Look at the kind of music that um, you know, Handel brought out. Look at the kind of music those guys brought out in the name of appreciation of God. Which one is the other one that is made almost all this music where all this orchestral music where like gospel orchestral music and the guy produced plenty. He's not Mozart. He's back. Yes, based of him. Why? Why do you think that happens? Why do you think the Sistine Chapel came from a certain part of kind of culture? Why do you think all those Michelangelo's paintings and all those sculptures and all those beautiful, beautiful things that all of us refer to today as extremely beautiful, why do you think that they came out from certain kinds of things? So much so that even pagans, even pagans, when there's a consciousness of the creator, the eternal one who made all these things, an appreciation for the work of his hands, what it leads to is that instinctively, people also begin to create in appreciation of beauty of the work of God's hands, people also begin to create beautiful things. Church, are we together? So, in the arts, in, the, in music, you know, wherever we see, we can see the hand of God, we, we appreciate them. We appreciate them. That's why we're going to, we're going to do things like, you know, we're going to support good gospel music. Yes, we will. Who supports music? Who support good music? Unto God. Who support the arts? Who support things that can, you know, demonstrate the gospel, um, the nature of God? All the things that can show forth the nature of God, those, all those things that can show forth beauty, objectively, will support them. Who appreciate them and will support them. Church, I was together. I'll not, not be a place where I'm going to separate the gospel. Say, okay, while people are preaching the gospel. But um, all those other things don't matter. They do matter. If God was deliberate about it, then we should be also. If God is deliberate about it, then we should be also. Church, I was together. That's why we're not going to do things anyhow. 
when God is deliberate about something, the thing emanates as beautiful. Did you hear what I just said now? When God does something, the thing emanates as beautiful. So that means also, we have a standard. Just like God. Beauty is proof of agency. Beauty is the proof that someone was deliberately doing this thing because beauty does not come out. That's why beauty is strongly correlated with order. When things are in order, we call them beautiful. When things are haphazard all over the place and dirty, you know that, that no agency has been involved there. Because whenever you see chaos, whenever you see things are upside down, it's a proof that no agency has been there. The moment an intentional entity enters that place and begins to walk there, he begins to put everything in what? Order. Did you understand what I just said now? In the same way, we who have the nature of God, it is incumbent of God to demonstrate that faculty that God has given us. To put things in order. That's why we won't do things anyhow. Even in the way we set up, we won't do things anyhow. If God did not create us funny, that day unto day utters the beauty of God, shows for the knowledge and the glory of God, why would we just do things anyhow? Church, I was together. Even if it is small, even if it is small, we'll do it well. It begins to show in a lot of interesting things that Jesus will do. Jesus will call for the Last Supper and he would ask them inspiredly to go and get a place that is well furnished. Because don't do things anyhow. God is big on doing things well in a way that the beauty can be appreciated and so shall we also. So we won't do things anyhow. We won't say because we are small then you guys will show up in church and you now see everywhere dead sea and then things are just upside down and we we'll do things anyhow. No. This is not um, this is not um, you know trying to impress people. This is not the use of material resources to show off. This is not it all. This is not it all. This is not doing those things for the sake of impressing people. No. This is we demonstrating the same faculty that God has, that he has given us. This is we demonstrating who we are. We do things well. If all we have is one room, where whatever it is we are doing, if we want to release a piece of music, a, a piece of a song and all that, and all we have is so-so-so thing, whatever it is we are doing, we will do it well. If all we have is one room, we will not say because of that the walls will be dirty, we will not do things anyhow and all that, we will not do things anyhow. No! whatever it is we have no matter how little we must demonstrate beauty from it church all together and finally purity purity 1 John chapter 2 1 John chapter 2 And this is this one is especially important to me. This one is especially important to me. First John chapter two, verse fifteen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. 
and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. We are a church that is pure. And by pure, I know that your first instinct is sexual purity. <laughs> what is more than that? Is way more than that. We are a people that consecrate ourselves unto the Father in our conduct. Our conduct is consecrated unto the Father. It is of the Father and not of this world. There is no place for the things of this world in our conduct. And what are the things of this world? Number one, the lust of the flesh. Speaking primarily to um, sexual purity. Lust of the eyes. Materialism. Whereby, you know, you want good things. You want the fine things. Cars, the traveling abroad, nice food, fine dining, nice houses, all those kinds of materialistic things. Things that appeal to your eyes. Lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. Ego. Power. The need to be in control of other people. The need to control other people. All these things are deeply carnal things from the natural man. These things, we are going to stay away from them as a people. In TEC, we are big on sanctification. Sanctification in terms of staying away from the things of this world. Because most times, most ministries are actually sent to their generation. And because we are a ministry, we are starting a phase where most of us are young and everything. In this church, purity is not until you have committed fornication. First Timothy chapter 1. Verse 5 says, Now the purpose of the commandments is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. The purity I'm talking about is not just sexual purity. It's the fact that your heart must be pure towards everybody. Apostle Paul is telling Timothy here that the essence of the law is to make people to start having a pure heart. In this church, we're going to have a pure heart towards each other. We're going to have a clean mind towards each other. We're going to be pure towards each other. That's why I was beginning to say that we're a church of young people, so it's not even a matter of until you've committed sexual fornication. We're not going to, this is not, we're not going to have space for all those um, relationship drama. You come to the church and you ask five sisters out, or you're asking somebody out, you have an ulterior motive, you never meant to, you know, date the person or to marry the person, but you have, you have other plans, you just want to use the person. 
you know, all those kinds of things. Money issues, lost of the eyes. You know, where you are doing things so that you can make money or try to find a way to cut. Our minds must be pure towards each other. There will be no scheming. Pride of life. In this church, there will be no competition. There will be no drama. I am willing to close everything down and everybody will go home. The day drama becomes an issue. In this place, there will be no drama. You offend someone, just tell the person and sort it out. If the person did not agree that you offended them, report to someone else, let another person be a witness, let the person judge between you two. There will be no place for, you are going to go and talk at someone's back and then someone else now said you said something and then you are now fighting and all this kind of, there will be no place for that. The day drama, see, it is the one thing, if something happens that by mistake, it will not happen and a leader in the church goes and impregnates someone or gets pregnant outside of marriage, they will shout at you, and we'll, we'll make sure that everything is fine. We'll not allow you to abort the child. We'll take care of the child for you. And you'll be alright. But if we catch you with an evil heart of impurity, you are slandering someone, talking, a tell, told a lie about someone, going to go and change mouths and all those kind of well, lie, lie, small be lie. That's the end. We'll bench you till that evil spirit is out. There is no place for drama. See, a family cannot do without drama, like we said yesterday. There is no way that the family will not have drama, right? But see, if something happens, someone offends you, you will call the person and you will settle it. In this church, if you want to tell me something about somebody, come with the person. Don't come alone. If you cannot come with the person to tell me what the person has done, don't come. If the person is not around and the person is at another place and you must report, as you are coming to me, put the person on voice call. Or tell me to be texting the person to confirm from the person as you said it there. I hope you understand what I'm saying. That's what I mean by, see, the essence of the law is love from a pure heart. That's the purity. That's where fornication comes from. That is where fornication comes from. The, unwi- the willingness to take the privilege of maximum intimacy from a person without the corresponding commitment to the person. That's why walking in love actually constrains you. That's why the love of Christ actually constrains us. When you love a sister or you love a brother and you understand that there are certain privileges, this person's nakedness is not just for anybody. Is for the person that has committed to protect their nakedness. That I am with you in this matter. Is right or die. And that commitment is not a commitment that you can lie to someone in secret. It's a commitment that you should be willing to tell everybody about. That's what marriage is. When you have committed to someone in that point, that's when you can have the privilege of getting intimate to a person. That, see, a man is spiritual and body. A person's body is them. In this church, we know we don't believe in a man is a spirit that has a soul and lives in yeah, We believe in that, but the idea that your body is so much different from your spirit is a lie. A person's body is precious. You have no right of access to it except you have committed to them. That is a privilege that is meant for one person. 
That's where purity comes from. It's from a pure mind. If you have a pure mind and you're not carried away by the lust of the flesh and you think objectively, just think like a child of God about someone else and you think about the person, imagine it's your daughter. Imagine it's your sister. And someone shows up that wants to be using their body but has not committed to them forever. There is a possibility that the person will still leave them and go on to another person and the person, your sister will still, or your daughter still has to go and marry someone else and be explained to the person that I've met six people before I met you. That's what purity of heart does. That's why the love of Christ constrains us. That's why the essence of the law is love from a pure heart. Do you guys know what I'm saying? Purity is not just about sexual destiny. No. It's about a pure heart towards people. No drama in TEC. It is extremely important to me. It's extremely important to me that everybody can come to church and they can come with a free mind. It is extremely important to me. My wife and I are like that. It is extremely important that if someone has offended you, you thrash it out and don't allow it to fester and cause a problem. So that is why in TEC we'll be big on uncomfortable discussions. Painful discussions. We will have it if it must clear the issue. You know that fear of being disagreeable that leads to more resentment. We are going to kill that temperament in this church. That temperament will be very low. You say, um, I just didn't want to talk, so I did not cause something's wrong with you. I just didn't want to talk because I don't want to. You will say it. You must say it. Because the way these things work is that when you don't air them, they build up in your heart. It corrupts your heart and it creates a kind of prison by which you view the person and everything about the person. So when the person is talking to you next time, you're not looking to them from a pure heart of this person is just being pure. What you are looking at, you are looking at them through the prism of this person has offended me and has the tendency to harm me. So what the person is saying is distorted. What the person is doing is distorted. The person says, leave me, Joe. You have seen it as she's saying I should get out forever and ever. When really what she's just saying is I'm not in the mood. That's what resentment does. It distorts communication. It distorts perception. That's why it's a poison that kills people. Because what it's doing is that it's affecting you. It's affecting the way you see things. See, this church, it will not happen. Everybody here knows me and that's how I am. If something is not going fine, we say it and we get it over with. That's what my wife and I are. If you don't like something, you talk about it. And move on so that there is no shadow of doubt in your heart about what that person feels towards you. That's the purity of heart I'm talking about. Though. It's not just that in our church we don't sleep, but let me tell you the truth. I am not a naive person. I'm not a child of God. I'm not a child that I will think that um, issues that I, we know. If Jesus' ministry can have those kind of crazy people, we know there are some people that will come around that will be funny people. But God will be catching us for them. Listen to me. Um, all those elevation and idolatry of sexual purity over the grace of God. We don't do it here. Let me tell everybody now and hear me well. This is just the fact. 
if anybody at any point in time, don't worry, it will not be your lot. But if there's ever any issue where someone goes and gets pregnant out of wedlock or someone commits adultery or someone commits fornication one day and this thing and all that, see, what we'll do, we will help you. We will bench you, we will help you, but we will not stigmatize you. We will not make you feel this thing. The only time where we will have to cut you off is if you stand in rebellion against the gospel or against this vision. When you stand like that man in Corinth and you say, I will sleep with my father's wife and so what? And so what, Abby? You're doing it outside. Church, are we together? So all those things of a, a teenager got pregnant in the church and because of that, they will not send her. It's a lie, you. In our church, if a teenager should get pregnant because she made a mistake, <laughs> yeah. If they do, how much is ENC? How much is antenatal? Take the money. Go for antenatal. When is your due date? Give birth to the child. I'm happy we take care of the child with you. Church, are we together? That's what we do here. That's what we do here. So our minds must be pure towards each other. Thank God that those are closest to me know. If I say something and I preach something and it's sounding off, what I expect you to do is after the service, come and meet me or text me. Pastor Sam, this thing you said is somehow, this is the way I heard it. Is that what you meant to say? What I heard was this, 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 this. Is that what you meant to say? Later I'll say, ah, okay, well, that's not what I meant to say. Is that what you think people heard? And if that's what I meant to say, or this is what I meant to say, ah, sir, are you sure? This is what I feel. And me too, I'll say, okay, from God's word, this is what I feel. And you guys know me. If, if I cannot defend it, I will come next Sunday and I will correct it. Because we're not doing this thing the way we used to do church for career. We have career. We have work we're doing now. Church, are we together? So we must have a pure heart towards each other. I hope the guys on Zoom can hear us. We must have a pure heart towards each other. Please, no matter. Look at, look at what Apostle James says. James chapter 3. You saw those useless, useless wisdom that they used to use in our, in our parents' churches where they'll be doing all kinds of ariki-riki in the church. You know, all those kinds of... Look at verse 13 of chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let's... Who is wise and let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the weakness in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter, bitter envying and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Listen to me. I'm going to make it God helping me. I'm going to disincentivize the a competitive spirit, the spirit that is looking for position in this church. I would disincentivize it by the grace of God. Every spirit that wants want to be a pastor, you want to be head of units, you want to be close, close to Pastor Sam, I would disincentivize it. By the grace of God. All those bitter envy seeking, me they should have made this, me that should have made that, that spirit will never be in this church. Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. It is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every kind of evil idea, every kind of self-seeking, 
evil begins to come there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without what? Hypocrisy. Hallelujah. That's how the believer's guardian should be. No self-seeking. No, 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 no competition. That's why there's some things that will not do like testimony time. Aisha gave, us a, Aisha gave me a very, very good suggestion. And that's what, that's what we're doing. Anybody that has testimony, you write it down. All testimonies in this church will be what? Anonymous. If God, you were hustling, 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 and then God met your need and gave you a contract, and you feel very strongly that you want people to know that God is powerful, write it down in a long letter for us. We'll read it in church for you and we'll give God thanks for you. Nobody will come here and say, Praise Master Jesus. I just want to thank God because he has put my enemies to shame. Who is your enemy? God punish you. Dear, come down. Come down. <laughs> Remove the mic from his mouth. <laughs> Remove the mic from his mouth. Come down. Come down. Praise God. You know those things that they used to do now. You know now. Just want to thank God. When nobody believed in you, who did not believe in you? If you don't leave that place. Hallelujah. No sobbing. Something happens in church that you don't like. It's not on Twitter that you'll be tweeting it and you'll be saying some people are, some people are. And we know that it's because something happens. If I catch you, I'm going to follow all of you. <laughs> and now we text him and say, Pastor Sam, did you see what Shea tweeted? You know it was me I was talking about, Pastor Sam. I'm, I'm not saying like that, though. Well, people are hearing what I'm saying. Our heart must be pure towards each other. If, if you really feel you cannot have common ground with a person, then please just leave us. If you feel that you cannot have a common ground with us, that you cannot live with us, that, you know, that spirit of revenge, that spirit of the need to have the final say, that spirit of winning the argument, I want to win the argument, that spirit will kill that spirit in this place. You must be willing to lose your cloak. You must be willing to turn the other cheek. Sometimes somebody has offended you. That spirit that makes you want by all force, the person must realize how much they have hurt you. And you're going to cause so much drama in the bit to make sure that they acknowledge how much they have hurt you. That spirit is not allowed here. Our spirit must be pure towards each other. Must be pure towards each other. When, if, any of, if any of us makes a mistake, we will be willing to help the person back up. If no other church has done it before, we will do it. I know there will be issues. There will be some unreasonable people that will that will deal that will come, and they will try to you know do. And sometimes even people in the church say, sometimes the spirit of unreasonableness can just want to rise up in you. The Lord will help us. As He's rising up, we'll be killing it. As He's rising up, we'll be killing. I want us to be a place that once you step into the door, you can be yourself. You are not afraid that someone will use something against you, use any knowledge against you to harm you, or you know, you can be yourself. It is in that atmosphere that the power of God is actually very strong. Word of knowledge will be easy. Word of wisdom will just be flowing anyhow. Gift of healing will just be flowing. That's what will happen. Anyhow, you'll just be seeing things for people. Just be seeing things for people. It's in that kind of atmosphere that someone will pick it up in the middle of the night that something is wrong and start praying and just call you and then you just say, ah, my daughter just had coffee. 
those kind of things, those kind of beautiful things that make the garden of the saints to be what it is. That's that kind of atmosphere that it is. If we cannot have a church like that, I will see it as failure of everything we've done. Because it's about the people. It is not hard to gather a crowd. It's not hard. If we want to, if we want to start gathering goats and ram, how did my mother say to pastor? They said, "Ozi, Ozi, Ozi, That's what she told him. So then I have always pastor. She said, told him, say Jaria, Ozi Kenra Maguton. That means that you have, you have packed goats and sheep together in your church. <laughs> if you want to do church where you can carry the goat and the sheep to give, you want to Kenra Maguton. It's very easy. It's not easy. It's just to be preaching rubbish and be doing rubbish, all kinds of things. It's not hard. But that's not what we'll do. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. All right, so I'm done. The truth is that um, everything that we've said is not everything that has to say, but the things which shall continue to unravel as time goes on. Praise God. So let's bow our heads and let's pray in the Holy Ghost.